Let's continue worship with a reading from Acts 4, 1 through 31. It's a big chunk. Buckle up. And as they were speaking to the people, the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed, because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. And they arrested them, them being Peter and John, and put them into custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came up to about 5,000 that day. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas and the high priest Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, them being Peter and John, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all of the people in Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing well before you. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived they were uneducated men, common men, they were astonished. They recognized that they had been with Jesus, but seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, what shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone. In this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. For the men on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported to the, what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voice together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth, the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness, while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And, all, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you for remaining standing. Good morning. Good morning. How are we doing? 
All right, glad you're with us today. We've been talking about the biblical portrait of the Holy Spirit for like months, like a month plus, something like that. So I, I, if you're new with us, welcome. I can't uh, catch you all the way up, but let me just give you a quick overview so you can hop into the conversation. Uh, we started this whole conversation talking about the offshoots of Christianity, like the perversions of Christianity, distortions of cults, cults, right? We started talking about cults. Everyone loves a good cult conversation, right? A good cult, you know, uh, documentary. Christianity has no shortage of people that take some small bits of what they like from Christianity um, and then ignore the rest. And then you end with a bunch of people drinking Kool-Aid in South America. Uh, we pointed out the first week of this uh, series, I think it was the first week of this series, um, how almost all the uh, famous American cults in the last century started as Christians. Did you know that? And the temptation today... And this is what we said. Temptation today for many Christians is to create a Christianity that is merely a projection of their own desires and wants. And that can, for some people, be a Christianity without the Holy Spirit. Right? They take the bits they like, the bits that feel under their control, to help them achieve A, B, and C. They leave the rest and end up with something that looks nothing like biblical Christianity. Because it doesn't include the life and the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in and amongst his people. So we, we talked about the unhelpful associations we have when you say the word Holy Spirit. Talked about that. Ghostbusters, right? Put that thing up. We talked about our modern reservations when it comes to the supernatural. Remember that one? We sat with some of the biblical language around the Holy Spirit, primarily the language of temple. I don't know if you were with us that day. And pointed out that most people seem to think the goal of Christianity is to get you to heaven. Right? When in the Bible, what you see is not man getting to heaven when he dies, but rather God coming to earth. That's what you see in the Bible. Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. Temple was called the tabernacle. It's called the uh, place of meeting. What you see in the Bible is God coming to earth, bringing heaven to earth, not man trying to get to heaven when he dies. Jesus tabernacled with men, right? Took up residence. Dude, that's God come to earth, all right? In Revelations, the city of God does what? Comes out of heaven to earth, right? New Testament writers start calling our bodies a temple, saying that God's supposed to be dwelling in us, all right? But I think the best summary, so that's just a quick overview of what we said. The best summary of what, we've been said, what has been said so far is this. You can have a cultural Christianity. You can have a social, social show club Christianity. Sorry, my mouth will warm up. You can have a social justice Christianity. But if you want a biblical Christianity, it means it's based on a real encounter with the living God via the Holy Spirit, saving and empowering in accordance with Scripture. Okay? So what we said over and over and over again is if we are going to be intellectually honest people who deal with the Bible, it forces you to deal with the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. All right? So last week we read the first Christian sermon. Uh, and when we saw uh, the promised gift of the Holy Spirit given, Pentecost, right? We know that. Disciples go from hiding in an upper room to spin kicking the, the devil in the mouth, right? And who's leading the charge? Well, it's interestingly what we said last night is Peter. Peter, you know Peter, the guy who denied Jesus three times, right? Pentecost chapter 2. That's Acts chapter 2. Dude breaks 
all the preaching rules. If you like, you're not supposed to accuse people. You're not supposed to be like, you. I mean, he does that, all right? You're not supposed to promise things. Like, if you do that, he does that. He's like, you're going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Like, tons of stuff that I would never say, right? He does it. 3,000 people get saved, right? So Peter saw something supernatural happening at Pentecost, right? All we talked about tongues, fire, all this stuff, right? And he stepped back. He saw a supernatural moment. He stepped back. He, well, I guess stepped up, right? And brought scripture to bear its weight on the occurrence. And, and 3,000 people said, yes, y'all, that was a supernatural moment. You have to kind of wrestle with, with this, whole, this whole conversation. We're talking about our modern reservations to the supernatural. Dude, you have to rest with, uh, you have to sit with this idea that Christianity starts, like this is, this is what people call the birth of the church, Pentecost, supernatural moment, okay? Okay, and then you have to ask yourself, Galatians is gonna say things like, hey man, are you gonna perfect in the flesh what was begun by the Spirit? And then we're getting a picture of the role of the Holy Spirit in the Christian life. Dude, it begins and sustains. I mean, I mean you can't do it without it. This is just the biblical, the biblical portrait. Okay, so what we read today was two, uh, two chapters after Acts 2, Acts 4, right? It's after uh, well, it's Peter and John getting arrested, right? And in the, va- in the face of violent threats against their life, um, they say to these guys who could have them killed, hey, man, we're not going to listen to you. We will not, cannot stop talking about what we've seen and heard. And we noted, we noted last week, um, when the Spirit falls, that's the biblical language, okay? Again, I just want to continually say, the Bible says this, okay? When the, when the Spirit is poured out, supernatural things happen, healings, miracles, that stuff happens. And part of that supernatural impact, what we said last week, is either lost people get saved or God's people get brave. That's what we said, is the consequence of the Holy Spirit falling and dwelling on his people. So people have come up with a whole lot of doctrine around the Holy Spirit, who he is, what he does. And we've just been trying to say, hey, hey, let's just hold all of our thoughts and ideas and associations with the Holy Spirit. Let's hold that up to Scripture. <laughs> and let's just see what the Bible says about it. So what we read last week, Peter's filled with the Holy Spirit. And he, well, actually this week, sorry, what we read today. Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit again, actually. Did you catch that? When he's being questioned, is it he's filled with the Holy Spirit, filled. That's like someone's doing something to him, right? As he's being questioned, and what does it do? Dude, it makes him bold as a lion. Like, it makes the dude fearless. He, this guy, Peter, you know, backwoods, like we said last, backwoods fishermen, dumbfounds the elite and the educated. They're totally flabbergasted. Did you catch it when we were reading it? They literally make him leave. Like, they, 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 he leaves them, they're just like, they don't know what to say. Get out of here. They, they, get, they make him leave. Um, and then they regroup and they huddle and they're like, what are we going to do about these guys, right? And if you don't, so let's just, okay, let's just take that bit. Now take, take a step back. If we don't consider the whole scene, you're going to miss the irony and what I would call the tragedy of this scene right here in the book of Acts, right? Here we have the people who are the representatives of God. The priests. These are the priests. What do priests do? Man, they administer the mercy of God to his people. They represent the goodness and love of, of God to his people. They step in the, they mediate for the people. That's who is at play here, the, the priest, the le- chief leaders, all these guys. They're the scholars, the pastors, the theologians of the day. They, guys, these are the experts on God. 
If you had a question about God, you went to them. Hey, I'm having an issue with this and that and that's, well, God would say this and you need to do this. And, you know, th these are the, prof the professional Christians in our language today, the professional elite. And in 11, in fact, uh, Peter uh, concedes that this is who they are. Did you see who he calls them? He calls them the builders. Peter calls them the builders. He says, you guys are the builders, the one who's supposed to be building God's kingdom. But then Peter calls them out, man. He says, he affirms their role, and he says, you're the builders, but you've rejected the cornerstone. Huh? That's, dude, you have to sit with this. You have to sit with this. What's a cornerstone? It's the thing that's the determining factor of the entire structure. The cornerstone is the reference for every other position. That dictates the whole thing. He says, you guys are supposed to be building this thing, and you've rejected the chief cornerstone, the foundation on which the whole thing's supposed to be built. Here, these guys, Pharisees, the leaders of, of these days, they are tasked to build the kingdom of God. And not only can they not see it, what are they doing? They're actively stopping it. You have to sit with this. Dude, this is the pastor's... And then God is doing something, and the pastors are the ones that, ah, 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 ah. you can't do that here. God doesn't work like that. In fact, not even saying no, I mean, squashing it. Do you guys sense, does this upset anyone else? You, what does it mean? This means that you can be at the very center of religious activity in your society and culture, right? You can be making religious things happen, right? Serving, you're behind the scenes, pray, on the stage leading, right? Praying for people, you're doing the ministry, right? And not only be missing what God's doing, but opposing it, actively opposing it, completely opposing it to the point of voicing threats against those in whom it is happening. This is, this is terrifying to me. Maybe not to you. I'm that guy. I'm a professional Christian. Right? I'm paid to be a Christian. And here these guys are. <laughs> here these guys are in that role, not only missing, they can't see what God's doing. Dude, they're opposing it. Huh? You, you got to, I mean, what are the things you point to to say, yeah, I'm good with God. Me and God are, me and God are good. What are the things you point to to say, yeah, right? Is it not? Your participation in religious services? Is it not your volunteering and leading and making it happen? And here the guys are the, the guys that are supposed to be facilitating the whole thing for all their knowledge, all their expertise, all which it shouldn't be like you shouldn't bat. I mean, that's a lot. They were smart, okay? Like PhD type, right? Smart for all their knowledge, could not recognize the work of God in front of their eyes. They couldn't see it. Or maybe didn't want to see it, right? But not only that, here they are actively opposing it, trying to stop it from happening. And what is it all responding to, y'all? What is all this scene wrapped up in, right? Well, it's responding, you could say, to the ministry of Jesus. The disciples are only doing what their leader did. Aren't they? It's, this is not, it's not the ministry of Paul. It's not the ministry of Peter or John. They talk about that in Corinthians. I, you know you know what I'm talking about? Like, you, know, you know that one, right? Right? They're, they're, they are super clear on that. Everything they are doing is in whose name? Jesus' name, right? And the religious leaders are responding to the disciples the exact same way they responded to Jesus because it's the ministry of Jesus now being carried out in his followers in the exact same way Jesus was doing it. Now, what did that look like? And this is where we get a little uncomfortable, modern people, okay? Okay. How do you know if you're on God's side? Look at me. 
How do you know if you're on God's side? Hmm? How can we know that we haven't devolved into experts with hearts of stone? Like, how, how can we know that we ourselves aren't blind to God working or even opposing the work of God in our churches today? Well, let's just look at the thing. What happened? What set them off? We didn't read it, but it's the chapter before. And dude, I'd highly encourage you to go home and read it today. All right? It's the chapter before. It's super compelling. The whole scene starts. The whole thing that sets off this whole uh, cascading event starts uh, with, with a poor, lame man. This is, how, this is how this whole scene starts. We didn't read it, but it starts with poorly. Now, let's just think about these two words for a second, okay? Let's dig into what exactly these guys are offended at and opposed to, okay? It's a poor and a lame person, all right? Do you, do you know, um, uh, I'm asking you an actual question. Do you know poor, any poor people? Do you know any poor people? Like, like poor, like really poor. Like, do you know any homeless people? Do you know any homeless people's names? Um, do, uh, we, we tend to avoid People like that because they're real needy, aren't they? I mean, if, I don't know if you ever hung out with like a homeless guy, but he's like always bumming stuff off, always asking for a ride. Hey, man, just give me five. I'm going to go get it right, you know? I, I mean, have you ever gone downtown and done homeless ministry and like you get close to him and you're like, you know, we just kind of avoid poor people. And you're always wondering, is this guy lying to me? Right? You just kind of, like, you get, a, you get next to some, a homeless guy, and you're like, I, I'm a little suspicious. I don't know if anything he's saying is true, right? You're just, maybe a little judgmental. I mean, not you. Obviously, you're at church. But, like, me, like, like I can be a little judgmental. You know, I'm like, well, what got you here, man? Like, what'd you, you know, right? I, I just don't know anyone who's like, you know what? I just, it's a nice day. I'm going to go hang out with a poor homeless guy. I'm just going to go. I'm just gonna, I just, I don't. I don't know if you'll do that. You know, I saw a guy begging on 20. I'm just going to go introduce myself, hang out with him. I don't know anyone that does that. Do you, do you guys know anyone? Anyone know anyone that does that? Maybe you do. No, because they're poor, right? We avoid poor people. In fact, we avoid poor as a general sentiment. We avoid poor quality. We avoid poor excuses. <laughs> we don't gravitate towards poor. Let's think about the word lame. This guy was poor and lame. We literally use that word to mean like dumb and boring. That's lame, right? But actually the word itself doesn't, it actually means uh, defective. Lame means uh, maimed, incapacitated, unable to do the most basic things in life. In this context, he couldn't walk. Dude had legs that didn't work. He was crippled. He was damaged goods. He was broken. He was broken. And therefore, this man was seen hello, as a parasite on society. Poor, lame people contribute nothing. Right? That's this guy. That's where the story starts. That's what was encountered. That's what was engaged and started this whole thing. Uh, someone like this could be described, interestingly enough, um, how the Messiah was described in Isaiah. Did you know that the Messiah was described as one from whom men hide their faces, considered him not esteemed poor by God? Isn't that interesting? Uh, do you have any people in your life that are needy and contribute nothing? I don't know if anyone's going to raise our hands on that one or not. <laughs> and if you can't think of anyone, um, just ask yourself, who do you perceive, someone's like, 
Who do, you, who do you perceive as under you who you actively avoid? So think about work. Who do you perceive as under you that you actively avoid? Um, that's where this incident starts. It starts with a poor, lame person. Guess what? Being valued and loved and engaged and healed in the power and the name of Jesus. When you think, I'm going to start a ministry, where do you start? When you think, you know, I mean, you know how church planners do this thing these days? They find investors, right? Spend like 50K on sound and tech gear, right? They buy some stock images of models laughing, right? And then, and then start a social media campaign, right? How did Jesus qualify his ministry when John asked him, hey, are you really the one or should we look for someone else? What does Jesus say? He says, go and tell John what you hear and see. Uh, the blind receive their sight. The lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf are here, the dead are raised up, the poor have the good news preached to them. And then he says this, blessed is he who is not offended by me. That's interesting. Jesus equates that whole list, those things happening with who? Himself. And he says, blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Now, I don't want to rattle you any more than the Bible already does. But what is happening with Jesus' disciples here? How would you describe what they are doing? And the only thing that could come to my mind is this simple word, following. They are following Jesus in the most simple terms. How do you define following Jesus? Can you define following by anything else than doing what they have done? Is there another definition? that we're supposed to work with? What, what does it mean to follow Jesus, team? And how are they following him? Well, they're by being the vessels in which the ministry of Jesus is carried on in the same way Jesus himself. Now, the king in the kingdom with all the power and authority and love and forgiveness is being extended through who? His followers, right? It's why in the New Testament, writers begin to call the church the body the body of who? Whose body? The body of Christ himself. And what's the body doing? Well, it's doing the same thing Jesus did. That's how you know it's his body, right? It's preaching the good news to all who would listen. But it's not just proclamation here, is it? It's demonstration. Someone got physically healed. It's not just words. It's power. It's not just truth. It's spirit. It's why we said over and over, like your spirit is the animating force of your body. So God's spirit is the animating force of the church. Your faith is a shell without the Holy Spirit breathing power and life into it. And it's why in the New Testament, the writers would say things like, when they came and preached to people, they would say things like this. Our speech and our message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Now, go back. I want you, I want to challenge you today, right now. Go back and read the Gospels. I want you to do this. Go read the ministry of Jesus and ask yourself, what do you think it would mean to follow someone like this? Anyone want to take that challenge? Go read the ministry of Jesus 
and ask yourself, what would it look like to follow someone like this? So, okay, there's so much here, okay? <laughs> so much here that you need to chew on, I think, but we got to move on to Acts 4. So after they are released, they get back with their crew, right? And they pray this like legit, theologically profound prayer, quoting the Old Testament, and basically say, Lord, make us bold. Make us bold. These guys are threatening to kill us, right? Stretch out your hand, signs and wonders, name of Jesus. Um, and then, I don't know if you caught this, uh, but, but Pentecost point two happens in Acts chapter four. Did you see that? It's the exact same language as Pentecost. It's, it's almost identical, right? And it's actually the third time Peter is said to have been filled with the Spirit. In Acts 4, it says, when they had prayed in the place in which they were gathered together, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Exact same phrase as Pentecost. Exact same phrase as Acts 2. Filled again. So one of the things I've been trying to do is address theology and doctrine that has, whether it was intended to or not, created a dismissive attitude towards the indwelling presence and power of the Holy Spirit. We tracking with that? Okay, so I've been, I've been trying to go after doctrine and theology that it hasn't meant to, but in your real life has created a dismissive attitude towards the Holy Spirit. There are many, many Christians who would say, I don't believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You can find them today. They call it second blessing theology. There are a lot of things that are tied up with that. You can second filling, or if they're really honest, people that just believe, I don't really believe God can be experienced in any real way. Like we read the book, we try to do our best, but any kind of experiential talk, immediately people are like, I'm out, right? So, or they say, if you have some kind of experience, it's once and done. Right? Maybe, maybe you cried when you were in middle school, you know, and you became a Christian, but that was weird and embarrassing, so put that behind you. And if anything happens to you, if you become a Christian, well, it happens to you when you did that thing, right? And one's enough. One embarrassing emotional thing is enough. Don't, I mean, everyone, right? Right? Well, maybe for you, but apparently not for the disciples. Hello? <laughs> not for the disciples. It wasn't enough. It wasn't enough just for, people say, listen, you get God, you get all of God, right? You don't need to get him again, right? God's powerful. Well, apparently there's something about the disciples that they needed to be filled again and again. And I can tell you right now, not for me. I don't know if you were here a couple weeks ago, Scott talked about a guy who asked for the filling of the Holy Spirit every Sunday and the kid's like, don't do it, Lord, he leaks. It's like, yeah, right, that's right, I'll leak. I'm, sin done twisted me up, man. Got holes all through me. Yeah, I leaked that stuff. I, look, I can't go a day, much less a week, much less a month, without becoming needy to the abundant generosity of God. I just can't get very far down the road, right? So I heard one pastor say, I'm not a second filling guy. I'm not a second blessing guy. No, I'm like a third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, and on into glory. And I get it, because when you read the book of Acts, y'all, that's what you see. I, I, can't, I can't tell you anything. Just read the book, man. That's what you see. Over and over and over again, right? If I am going to walk, I don't know if you have this as your agenda, but I, I, I want to walk in obedience to God. I do. I want to do that, right? If I want to get anywhere down that road, I'm immediately hitting my limit. Like immediately sensing, I, I, can't, do, I, I can't do this, right? Like I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to need a little ex, constantly needing the power and the, and the life of God to, to, to come into me and give me strength to do things that I know I can't do on my own self, right? So like, when it comes to stuff like this, like loving your enemies, like I feel like an infant there. 
I mean, maybe you're like, dude, I feel like an infant loving my spouse, right? <laughs> like, right? Like, it, it, let's talk real, right? There's challenges there. This is why, y'all, Jesus did not call himself birthday cake. He called himself daily bread. <laughs> daily bread to be enjoyed every day, taken in every day. That seems to be the invitation. Galatians tells us, man, you're not going to perfect by the flesh what was done by the spirit team, Right? Right? So if you have a desire to walk in obedience, which I'm not saying you all do. I mean, I hope maybe you do, right? But you will eventually, it will push you to a sense of desperate need, and you will find yourself asking for the power of God to do what you cannot do in your own strength, right? And this is exactly what we see the disciples doing in Acts 4, <laughs> right? In the face of danger and risk, they say, God, make us bold. Do it again. That's what they say. Do it again. Do what you did. And he answers them by how? Filling them again. All right? So maybe you don't see it this way, but I have found not only in the Bible, but in my own experience and struggle to be faithful, it has shown me, Lord, I need thee. God, I need thee. Every hour, I need thee. Right? And if that's not your experience, well, either you have become convinced you can do it in your own strength, or the other possible likelihood is you've just stopped trying to follow Jesus in any real way. And therefore, don't feel any need for his power and presence to aid you in your pursuit and obedience. One of the easiest things to do is just lower the standard of what it means to follow Jesus until it means living the exact same life you were already living before. Hmm? Now, let me talk about one other theological aversion some Christians have, which have blocked them from praying prayers like we find in the Bible, Acts 4. Make us bold, stretch out your hand, signs and wonders, name of Jesus, right? And we got to go back to boldness to get there, all right? So just walk with me for a second. Um, when, it, when they're filled again in chapter 4, it, it, five, well, actually it's before, it's the healing. It says 5,000 people got saved that time, right? Which is crazy, which is that, that's the pattern. People get saved, people get brave, okay? Um, but then the other thing that happens at the end after their prayer is it says they continue to speak the word of God with boldness, okay? Made them bold. It's like, you know, just like the first time, Peter ashamed, weeping, bitter, right? Bold at Pentecost. So here, the immediate result of being thrown of the spirit, made bold again. Now, let's just sit with it for a second, then we'll move on. What's another word for bold? This, is, this will get us to this theology I'm trying to get at. Uh, Courageous, brave, confident, assertive, ambitious, decisive. I have a thesaurus, you know, in a phone. Uh, unafraid, undaunted. I like that one, undaunted. Uh, more convinced now than you were earlier. When God's people are filled with the Spirit, right, they have backbone. Mm, I like that. Nerve, resolution, power. Mm? Spirit, pneuma, spirit of God himself, right? They were willing to take risk now that they were not willing to take earlier. Bold, what's we're talking about? They were willing to endure insecurity, danger, instability, uncertainty with a kind of strength and resilience that could only be labeled as supernatural, all right? Bold, they were made bold. Now, let's think about that whole list for a second. The list I just gave you, assertive, bold, resilient, resolute, all these things, right, could easily be the verbiage for an advertisement for a self-help course. Tired of being unafraid. I'm sorry, tired of being afraid, right? Unleash the power inside you. This online course will give you the confidence you need, right? Okay, now let's hang with me, hang with me. This is where a lot of people bleed into a kind of self-help Christianity because in Christianity, there is an offer for radical transformation of the inward reality of your life. That's the offer. 
radical transformation of the inward reality of your life, right? From fearful to fearless, from retreating to advancing, <laughs> self-help, right? from ashamed to emboldened, from guilty to free. Most people can get into that. When the Spirit of Christ fills you, man, he brings power, like real power to say no to sin, like healing, real forgiveness, peace, energy, bravery, authentic love, authentic joy. That's all straightforward, down-the-middle biblical stuff, okay? When we start saying God wants to give you peace and joy and life and boldness and courage, inevitably someone will stand up in the back and say, that's prosperity gospel, and turn their nose up to it. And end up throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Let me just weave this needle for us real quick. What's the prosperity gospel? Well, it turns God and the Holy Spirit into a tool to fulfill and achieve your dreams and desires. That's kind of the nuts and bolts of it, right? So the Holy Spirit gives power. Awesome. Sweet. Power for what? The prosperity gospel says anything you want, right? You want to make millions? Dude, Holy Spirit, give you, right? Help you make millions. He wa- in fact, he wants you to be healthy, ha- happy, wealthy, all that stuff, right? What's the thing? Happy, wealthy, healthy, right? That's that's prosperity gospel. This is, this is the idea, right? And, but then think, think about it, though. Let's sit with the nuance. All those attributes we mentioned earlier are like entrepreneurial must-haves. <laughs> like if you're going to do this, you're going to risk. You've got to be bold. You've got to have ambition, right? People that live like that tend to do well in business, don't they? Prosperity gospel says God can help you kickstart that health journey. Shed those pounds, right? Whatever you want. Happy, healthy, wealthy, right? It is. But if you think about it, Let's sit with it. If you are decisive and resolute and unafraid and confident, dude, people tend to have success when they tackle health journeys. When people, huh? Are we sitting with it? My point is, when you talk about the Holy Spirit empowering and making bold and giving power, some people have an aversion to it because it sounds like prosperity jargon, right? And I'm just trying to point out something to you. The biblical experience of Christianity always starts with Jesus via his Holy Spirit taking sin Shame, fear, guilt from you, and in its place, giving you righteousness and glory and boldness and purity and power. Okay, it starts with that, right? So Ephesians is going to tell us, dude, the same power that rose Jesus from the dead, dude, that's the power he wants to give you. So if you, as an individual, a little clay human, right, right, made of dirt, you're plugged in to that kind of power, what kind of person would you be? Would you be someone full of hate and wrath and anger and fear? No. No, did you be a person full of joy and love and confidence, okay? So if you have an aversion to, listen, guys, I know I'm going long. Just stay with me. If you have an aversion to receiving love, if you have an aversion to receiving joy, receiving peace, strength, for whatever reason, you have an aversion to Christianity. And the reality is, most of us do have an aversion to it, right? Because I'm not worthy, and I can't do it. Dude, look, look my, I, I can tell my four-year-old, buddy, you're killing it. Daddy is so proud of you. Man, I love you so much. And he's just, right? What is this? Why do we have such an aversion to receiving love and affirmation? And if you, and all, well, we all do. We all do. And what I'm telling you is, dude, that is this weird version of inverted pride stopping you from receiving the strength and love and peace that the Holy Spirit longs to pour out on your life here and now. The the bucket's being poured, right? It's our inability to receive. 
that I think stops us very often for whatever reason. We have an aversion to receiving love and affirmation. And, I mean, just, just test it, right? <laughs> right? Mo- if you have a harsh aversion to receiving love and, and grace and forgiveness, right? People tend to create then a Christianity that gravitates around them. And this is what I mean by that. They create a Christianity whose substance is created by your obedience, your sacrifice, your giving. It's a Christianity marked by the wisdom of man, not the power of God. It's Christianity marked by our action, not God's action. Listen, uh, it is not your obedience or worship or sacrifice that creates the substance of Christianity. The substance of our faith is not us. The focal point of our faith is the obedience of another. We tracking? The focal to enjoy and walk in that gift by saying yes to it, by receive. They are having so much more fun than us. Y'all need to get more rowdy, right? And let's just follow out the nuance and be done with this real quick. It's really the opposite from what we think. We think when we receive love and power and the Holy Spirit, right, um, we, we tend to think that that's going to result in puffing us up, right? If I'm receiving all this affirmation, isn't that really about me? No, actually, it's the, quite the opposite. When you receive the unmerited grace and love of God, your life begins to gravitate around him because you know in the depths of you, you don't deserve it. And isn't the risk and bold, the boldness that we need in our hearts and lives often just receiving as love? Just saying, I don't feel worthy. Bam, messed up. Got sin all through me. But I'm going to receive the love of God right now. I'm going to allow him to take stuff away from me that I know is weighing me down in this moment. Don't you think, where's faith come in, y'all? Isn't it here? Isn't it here when we say, man, I feel unbelievably dirty and unworthy, and I'm going to risk and walk in obedience despite of that. Like, I just don't know where else it comes in play. That's the faith. That's the faith we enjoy. We've been given and are called to receive something. When people have real encounters with God in the Bible, what they tend to do is realize that their dreams and their purposes and their lives were short-sighted and sinful. C.S. Lewis says, uh, true encounters with God, we either forget about ourselves altogether or see ourselves as small, dirty objects. When we encounter the living God, we surrender our dreams. We surrender our life because in the depths of our hearts, we know we deserve less. And our sensing from the creator of all things, love and kindness, when we know we don't deserve it, right? And we get instead God's dreams. And what's God's dreams? Well, that's what we're reading about earlier. It's the poor and lame getting the good news preached to them. It's the blind receiving their sight. Lepers, cleansed, deaf, being able to hear, right? Blessed is he who is not offended by Jesus, right? Part of what I'm saying today is if you feel powerless, if you feel full of shame and guilt and fear and fixated on your own sins, what would happen if you got over yourself and said, yeah, I feel unworthy, but I'm going to risk and I'm going to start to notice others and value and engage in people that I might otherwise try to actively avoid. I'm going to start, despite my imperfections and feelings of inadequacy, engaging and loving others engaging with the poor, and extending a cup of water to those in the name of Jesus. What if that's the moment God wants to meet you? The moment you say yes to being his hands and feet to those around you, right? My other point here is when we, in reality, experience the love of God and his spirit fills us, um, it does not convince us that God revolves around us, but rather it humbles our hearts to the dust, and we realize all glory, honor, and power revolve around him. It's because he's loved the unlovable. He's valued the worthless. He's come to the poor and the lame. Actually, he himself became poor, right? Became lame, 
that we might be rich towards God's. I want you to see that the power of Christianity is not your sacrifice, not your pouring yourself out. It's his sacrifice, right? And for whatever reason, if you have an aversion to accepting the generosity of God, accepting his Holy Spirit, dude, that's not prosperity gospel, man. You have an aversion to the foundations of Christianity, which is receiving that which you do not deserve. This is what we are called to <laughs> as Christians, receiving that which we do not deserve. So maybe I'm wrong. We'll wrap it up. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe God wants to be miserable. <laughs> I don't know. Dude, maybe. Maybe maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it is about your obedience and, you know, the harder the better. And maybe we should all be more miserable as Christians. I mean, there's parts that ain't easy. Like, I'll give you that. But here's a serious question for you. Here's what we'll end on. What kind of life do you think God wants you for you? What kind of life do you think God wants for you? How would you describe it? How would you describe it? How do you think God wants your soul to be as his follower? Impoverished, downcast, angry, frustrated? Maybe you think God wants you to languish for your sins. Maybe you think God wants you to be self, uh, hateful. So I think some people think that. I think they think God wants me to hate myself. And then if I hate myself enough, he'll accept me. Some of us, I think, think God wants you to languish for your sins. You should be beating yourself up to prove you're worthy. Or do you think God, the maker of heaven and earth, who burns with holy fire, desires for you to be joyful, healed, empowered, forgiven, redeemed, fully alive to him and others? Like he wants that way more than you want it for yourself. What do you think God wants for you, guys? What do you think 2 Peter 1 means when it says through his power and promise, you are partakers of the divine nature, right? Do you think that means living the life you are already living? Or do you think something else comes in? And I guess the larger question I'm asking on repeat is do you have a Christianity that is marked by your continual giving or God's continual giving? Your continual sacrifice, right? Or God's continual sacrifice, right? right? Do you understand what we do here in this room as only us giving and never receiving? Do you, now, I think some people might find that real spiritual, right? To say, I'm, I'm giving, I'm here to worship. But my hunch is that you're just like me, despite the fact that I've been walking for Jesus for many years, that I still come needy to the table, Right? And lastly, I'll just say this. Do you think you've been guilty of creating a version of following Jesus that in no real way follows him? And I want to give you space today uh, to repent. If you have created a version of Christianity that's basically you living the same life you would already be living, I think God wants to engage you today and say, dude, you're like living in shadows compared to what I have for you. Like the bar is way down here. He has such a more glorious experience that he wants for you as his follower, full of power and love and life. Let's stand and pray.